0: I really have a lot of pride in how BPN builds their relationships and manages their athlete relationships. Um, Like how I view that is like my athletes should never receive an email every month asking for things on our end. Mm. Like that's not how it should be. Like I I went in with the approach where I was like every single athlete is going to have my cell phone number and they're going to be able to call me or text me with anything and everything they need and I'm gonna be their friend and I'm gonna build relationships.
1: That is Adam Clink, and you are listening to the Epic Table podcast. Hey team, welcome back to another exciting episode. And first and foremost, I just wanna say thank you so much to everyone who has been so supportive with the launch over the last week of the Charlie Street, Teresa on Bolognese. So I've had people DM me, I've had people reach out, I've had wonderful texts uh we've had reviews on this podcast about it uh the youtube channel has been really supportive as well so thank you so much to everybody who's either you know purchased just inquired reported back that their wonderful bolognese or nachos that they've been creating is just next leveled um it means so much particularly from like you know people like yourself who have been part of this community and just supporting and listening in so Thank you. Uh, if you're wondering a bit of housekeeping, but if you're wondering when your state will be available to, uh, you know, have it delivered to you, so we're currently available in 22 states from the east um, side of the USA. Uh, we'll be very shortly unlocking the west and obviously the rest of the country. Uh, internationally, stay with us. We will uh, look forward to conquering, you know, the world and getting people exposed to, you know, more dietary fiber whole food based tasty ingredients that we are obviously looking to create so uh, if you want to keep up to date you can go to com, download the ebook that's free it's got a recipes and all the goodness and along with that you'll get updates on all the wonderful things that are coming and obviously when your state will be unlocked as well so thank you very much Team, this week on the podcast, we have the pleasure of the gentleman himself, Adam Clink. Now, Adam is the lead partnership manager at BPN, which is Bear Performance Nutrition. Earlier on this podcast, I had Nick Bear, the man who started the whole company himself. So you've definitely got a bit of a background. If you want to go listen to that podcast episode, I highly recommend you do. And Adam, he's followed up Nick's podcast with just absolute, you know, Genuity. Love just who he is as an individual. He's a former athlete, former D1 goalie, goalkeeper uh, at Rutgers University and then became, you know, he got involved with CrossFit uh, and you're going to hear his story. It's pretty remarkable how he's led this life of being an athlete to now being in a position where he helps look after athletes in the partnership realm with a brand that he is so passionate about. You will learn a number of different things with Adam and just first and foremost, you can just hear he's a really just a good human, like just a genuine good human. He's, he's amazing. So what I love is we, we talk a lot about eating for performance versus aesthetics. Uh, we touched on that obviously with Nick Bear as well, but it's really good to get Adam's side. He, you know, we touch about counting calories. So it's a good kind of understanding as well on his philosophy around it. Uh, we obviously talk about... Honestly, a lot about nutrition, just about food and how his development of how much he focused on it, how much he didn't growing up as a D1 athlete. And then I think one of the biggest takeaways is, you know, what he learned in his training, his mentality, what he took away from that to apply it in his professional world and how that led to him being a part of BPN. Um, There's some really cool takeaways from this episode, guys. I just think his story is amazing. He's, Honesty and just how he's just, you know, true to who he is and what he stands for is just something we can all learn from. So, um, I love uh, the way that Adam represents himself and his personal brand. So, uh, you know, obviously go give Adam a massive follow after this, guys. He's an absolute true legend. Before we get started, with the episode, guys, I just want to make a quick note. Today, being the release of the podcast, is actually National Coffee Day. And uh, the team at Super Coffee, we are proud to be announcing something pretty massive. So what I want you to do is go head over to our Super Coffee or Drink Super Coffee Instagram and you see an amazing announcement that's actually calling out the likes of Starbucks and Dunkin'. So go check that one out. Um, Obviously, as you know, a big part of the reason why I'm with Super Coffee is to help rid the world of sugar so uh you know we're doing that as best as we can over time we're we're doing a pretty good job of it so go check that out and of course if you want to see more on super coffee just go to drink super coffee on the instagram and just quickly last one is the uh huge update on seeing the updated brand on athletic greens I know a lot of you asking me, Dan, I've been saying that something looks like Athletic Greens, but it's not. It actually is, guys. So AG got an awesome brand, Uplift. It's really exciting. So for those of you who are subscribers, you'll get your new packages shortly. Uh, really excited to get those out to you, get your thoughts on it. So make sure you tag me. You know, I love to see your morning routines. I'm stoked. I've been using the new packaging um, for a couple of weeks now. I've been doubling up as of late, just due to the amount of um, you know training we're doing for the marathon. So if you need a bit more nutrition, you're looking to help with your nutritional insurance uh, and you're looking for something to help you out in a very quick and easy manner, make sure you go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Dan Churchill and we'll be sure to get you uh, your wonderful pack of monthly Athletic Greens along with your five travel packs. I'm going to be needing them because I'm going to Chicago tomorrow and then the vitamin D3, which we know is so essential for so many Parts of the internal metabolism, development, brain health, all, all, everything. So, reason it's a win. All right, Adam Clink, my man. Welcome to the Epic Table Podcast. Thank
0: you for having me. I appreciate it.
1: Now, dude, we uh, we're connected through just a pretty awesome family that is BPN. I've known about you prior to BPN, which is Better Performance Nutrition, um, with Nick and the team down there, and White And shout out to all those guys. Now. When did you, so you, you're the new, how would you put your role? What's your new role?
0: Yeah. So I am the lead partnership manager at BPN and I, I kind of do a little bit of everything. I oversee our ambassador team. We have about a hundred ambassadors. I oversee and sign and take care of our athletes. And we have about 16, 17 athletes. And then I'm in charge of all of our partnerships and people we work with. So for example, We're a title sponsor for the Rogue Invitational coming up next month. Um, And I handle all of those things regarding that. And we also work with Team RWB um, as kind of our charitable organization that we give back to. And and that falls under me. So I have my hand in a a lot of different buckets.
1: Yeah, man. It's it's awesome because to preface... How it works for my Epic Table listeners? You've got a legend like Adam, who works with these awesome brands, and and someone like Adam is like the point person for you know a- athletes like myself. And and when I say myself, Adam is. A hundred times more of an athlete than I am. Um, I so Adam, as you're about to hear, is Adam's story is absolutely incredible. Uh, but you know, I, I, we won't go into it now. We'll go into a bit later. But uh, Adam's role is super pivotal, like in absolute communication, setting things, and um, honestly, setting the tone for how Markability grows with uh, key key athletes. So, um, dude, love. I love what you do, and I you know, I love working with people like yourself. It makes a massive difference. Um, but dude, before we go into before we go into that, we're going to hear about you and my team's going to be blown away by how awesome you are as an individual and how you can perform. To preface it, guys, Adam's done a 500-pound back squat, a sub-five-minute mile, and like 50 pull-ups in the same day. Is that correct, dude?
0: That is correct.
1: <laughs> That's pretty awesome, man. I was looking at your numbers as well, like your your PRs, which we'll definitely touch on as well. So you are quite the beast. But dude, um, as I was telling you earlier, uh the Epic Table listeners know we've launched our products. And so if you guys hear chefs in the background, is because we are busy packaging, cooking, creating, packaging again, cooking again, all the wonderful bolognese and chorizo that you guys have asked for um and have it ordered online. So um you will hear some noises in the background, but just don't worry about it. Just Adam and I having a conversation. So Adam, dude, like mate, you're a div one goalkeeper at Rudgers in New Jersey um which is a pretty awesome school so i'm gonna take it back a bit man like do you have a family of just outgoing athlete you know inspired individuals like what got you into it like what got you into being an active individual
0: man so i guess going back to my childhood i wouldn't say that my family was heavily into athletics I'm the first born, um, I'm my parents only son, and then I have two sisters. So mm. I guess I kind of paved the way for us kids, but it was, we were never pressured to do anything as far as sports or extracurricular activities, but we did have to do something. My parents always said we we had to do something. And I think at a young age, my athletic drive came from my dad, um, my dad played sports up through high school, but he still worked hard and kept in shape when I was going through elementary school, middle school, and so forth. And I got into sports and I played a bunch of sports growing up. I played, you know, soccer was my primary sport, um, but I dabbled in basketball, football, track. And I can remember that going along with these sports, my dad was like, all right, you know, you, you don't just practice at practices, like you need to put in some extra work on your own. And being a soccer player, endurance was obviously very important in that sport. So he would take me on runs in the neighborhood. And this was like, you know, probably, you know, middle school, we started going on runs together. And I could just never keep up with him. And he would, you know, run slow, so he could run with me. And as I grew up and grew older, I think, Just that mentality of like doing extra and putting in hard work to get better at your craft. Um, He really instilled that in me just from like a fatherly standpoint. And I can like vividly remember the day that I finally beat him in a run. We would go for our run and we would run, you know, anywhere from one to however many miles. But I always remember when we would turn back on our street at the corner, we would sprint home. And every single time he would beat me, he would crush me. Like I, I couldn't touch him, but I vividly remember the day where I finally got him. And then I don't think he ever beat me again. Uh, but I think at a young age, just that the mentality to, to work hard. Um, he showed me that like with hard work, you can do anything you want to. Um, and I think that kind of paved the way for my athletic career and then my professional career moving forward.
1: It's always interesting we see that common link, right? You know, like the there's something that happened to us in our childhood or just instilled in us in a certain capacity that uh, gets us going, man. And I love that, like the the moment that you – I think we can all see that, like whether it be a brother, uh, you know, a sister, or someone that we've always looked up to, and you uh, you finally get the feat of um, surpassing them in something, or just beating them one time, one time of a hundred, we'll still we'll still take it. I still remember the first time I got my older brother out in cricket. It took me like a hundred times to do it, and so you would conversely, like the uh, the counter argument is like, yeah, you beat me once out of a hundred, but uh, it still matters. It still matters to us. Um, but dude, I, I like the what's interesting to me is the modalities that you can kind of conjure up and be successful at like you the the way of a goalkeeper man to me is uh you know i i worked with i've worked with athletes before in in, in the field of football and watching goalkeepers train compared to the average individual um like average like midfielder is completely different because you're like what you're required to do is a lot different. Your type of uh, you know, output is a lot different. And so what did that look like? And 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 before we go into that, my first question is, were you actually a goalkeeper first or were you, you know a midfielder, defender, forward, and then turned to a goalkeeper?
0: So in high school, I played both. My primary position was a goalkeeper from age 14 on. I played strictly yep. goalkeeper, but I was the kid – Growing up, where when I was 13 years old, I was the same size I am now. I was six feet tall. I wore size 13 shoe, and I was just kind of a big athletic kid. Granted, I was lanky back then. I was, you know, <laughs> this height, but you know, 140 pounds. Um, nice, but but um, so goalkeeper was was a good role for me because I mean, size played a key factor at that time. Um, but I also was just kind of bigger, stronger, faster than most kids at that time also. So yeah, I was a goalkeeper primarily, but there were plenty of times where I would play the field or we would be down a goal. Um, again, not a ton of skill on the field, but it was kind of just a long ball over the top. Let me run onto it and, and try to sc- try to score a goal and kind of manhandle kids. So, so that's how it started. But then obviously when you get to play at the college level, like, I, I no longer am the biggest, fastest, strongest kid there because everybody was the stud in high school playing at the college level. So then you, mm. you know, you, you really fine-tune your craft and it was strictly goalkeeper from from, you know, freshman year of college on.
1: Yeah, you got it, man. And so like, would you see yourself lifting more? Like, what does that look like as a as a midfielder? And and I've got a lot of you know, male and female soccer players listening in. So I I apologize if what I'm about to say sounds really, uh, you know, run of the mill for you guys. But um, mate, like for you, you, was your training modality completely different to them?
0: It was completely different. So as a goalkeeper, it requires a completely different skill set in terms of athleticism from a field player. A field player, you're going to run anywhere from, you know, 9 to 11, 12 miles in a game sometimes. And a goalkeeper is a lot of, you know, you got to stay attached to the game. You got to keep it's a lot of keeping focus. But then at the blink of an eye, you got to be able to react and jump halfway across the goal box and be explosive. And um, I mean, you look at the college level and these goalkeepers are like they're athletic specimens. I mean, honestly, my favorite part of college was the training because those goalkeeper sessions were they were intense and they were. Some of the most fun, challenging training sessions that I've ever been a part of. You know, yeah. you have a, a group of like four goalkeepers just going at it. Um <laughs> but uh I think I think something that played into my favor um was I was always into fitness and I knew that I wasn't gonna be the starter my freshman year. There was a fifth-year senior goalkeeper ahead of me. And I, I knew that the probability of me beating him out was was not going to be great. So, going into uh, camp my freshman year, I was like, you know what? If I'm not not going to start, I w- I want to be the best at something. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to be the fittest kid on the team as a goalkeeper. So I trained all summer, and I was the first goalkeeper and the first freshman to ever win the three mile test. Um, and I and and something I just prided myself on was being the fittest on the team and leading by leading by example from that capacity. Because I learned early that at the college level and even the high school level, there were a lot of kids that just relied on their talent and they didn't necessarily it just came naturally to them. Like they were just naturally good soccer players and they didn't have to necessarily work hard. And I knew that there had to be people on the team to set the tone to dictate the work ethic for the team because this was a whole whole different level. So um. Yeah, I, I lifted a lot. I was always sneaking into the weight room. Uh, I, was, I would lift with the Rutgers football team on top of all of our soccer training just because I wanted to be bigger and stronger than anybody. And actually at the college level, I was the second shortest goalkeeper in the Big East. So I really had to rely on my strength and athleticism to, to kind of keep up at that level.
1: And so would you then obviously be uh, – I've got so many questions here. One, like obviously your power output is pretty important, being able to, you know, spring up and get to all distances across that span of the goal. Um, you've obviously got the idea behind your Olympic lifting. And, you know, I'm looking at your lifts here, man. Like you can do a 550 back squat, a 300-pound and jerk, and a 245 snatch. Now, be it – this is down the line where you're more crossfit um specific but to me i look at that and i i just know that you've got tremendous amount of fast switch fibers but to have fast switch fibers and have previously done like and to still run a sub five mile um is pretty incredible man so like i kind of want to understand this a bit more did you understand your capabilities as an athlete like how unique physiologically you were at that time did you kind of understand understand that
0: no, I I like I literally don't think that I realized that I kind of had both end, ends of the spectrum unlike a lot of other people where I had endurance and speed but I also had a lot of power and strength um and I think honestly a lot of that just developed because I like I just wanted to be the best at something and I was never the most talented kid playing sports. So, you know, if I wasn't going to be the best player talent-wise, the only other option was to be the fittest strongest player on the team cuz like like that was my fallback like that honestly that got me to the college level talent didn't get me to the college level.
1: Yeah, so this is this is my next question it's kind of loaded and it's kind of hard to purely put it down other than be a subjective answer. But how much do you believe like I don't know. Do you you just kind of you kind of answer the question but uh, like truthfully? how much did you dedicate to your hard work and ethic or like your results of what I'm looking at in terms of numbers or even just being a div one goalie um, or, you know, more specifically, the numbers of what you were doing in training. How much do you attribute that to the amount of performance when you compare it to everyone else in training versus what you actually would have done if you just kind of run of the mill standard standard training as an athlete in college?
0: So let me see if I understand that correctly. So you're asking what my training would be like if I wasn't a college athlete and was just training to train?
1: I can't even, I can't even put that on my Australian accent. It was just more be, me being unable to speak English properly. No, man. I was, my, my point is like <laughs> I, I, I don't consider myself super talented. I give myself a lot of work ethic, right? Yes. And I know that if there was other people in this world where, you know, they're just naturally gifted and I'm like, far out, that'd be so cool. Imagine if I was naturally gifted and had oh, the work yeah. ethic that I had. How good would that be? So I think my question is to you, is like, do you think you would have made the goalkeeping spot that you did if you didn't train as hard as you were? Do you reckon you would have got there? And that's my I, I, question. I,
0: I, I understand what you're saying. So if I kind of just relied on my talent alone, and and I don't know, and I don't, I think even if I did, I probably wouldn't have lasted all four years in college. I mean, the mm. amount of people that I played with in college, the, the amount of teammates I had was probably, you know, 70 or 80 different teammates in wow. the five years that I played. Um, I played a fifth year because I redshirted in my freshman year. Um, yeah. But like you saw it all, all the time is that a kid would come in and he's the most talented player in the world. And he'd play a year or two and he wasn't willing to put the hard work in and he'd be gone, whether he was cut whether he you know, didn't get a starting job, and then they transferred schools. Um, so to answer your question, I think talent would, would essentially get you there, but I don't think that the longevity would have been there, meaning playing all four, or five years in college, if I wasn't willing to put the hard work and didn't rely on that hard work like I did. Like, yeah. I mean, as a coach, like I, I coach soccer as well a little bit, but I know the coaches that I've had, like, I mean, dude, co- coaches love those players who just who just work their ass off and, and dig in and give everything they got. And like, I know coaches will go into battle with those kind of players over players that just rely on talent, but then won't put in hard work and get back on defense when the ball's turned over. Um, so I hope that answers your question. Yeah, yes, but yeah. no.
1: Yeah, and I do totally I, I, it's such a, I, I think the, for me, I always look at people who are just tremendous hard workers and I actually just want, and, and they're very successful. Like for example, imagine if, imagine if Tom Brady didn't work as hard as he did, would he still be a seven time, you know, <laughs> Super Bowl champion? Yeah. And uh, but- I mean, looking at his story, you would be saying, well, he would like, when I say a better question. Do you think he would have won one Super Bowl if he didn't work as hard as he did? Would he have played in the NFL? I think that's where, like, because he's actually a really good example, don't you think? Because he's like someone who is a six round, one hundred ninety nine, you know, draft pick where he had to fight for his spot at Michigan. Same thing here. It's the same thing for you, right? It's the if I didn't work hard enough, even if someone who was equally as talented as me, they would have potentially got more of a shot or just as a shot as me. Whereas I probably, you know, made no option for the other person to come through because i just work twice as hard um yeah work ethic huge takeaway <laughs> Huge yeah,
0: takeaway, I, man and it would it would honestly make me so mad the kids that were just blessed with this talent and they worked oh. with it so hard and i was like man like what i would give to have half of the talent you had to then go along with my hard work i was like mm.
1: you
0: know, I'd, I'd be like I, i'd be a professional athlete like i wouldn't have any doubt in my mind that i would have gotten to that level and um, it, it was such a shame to see some of those kids throw that away at some point just because they weren't willing to put the work in
1: yeah man I uh, could not agree more so all of you legends who are supremely talented do it for Adam and I do not let it go to waste <laughs> <laughs> work your butt off uh, how funny um man so this is great so I understanding you love the idea of the training that's you know the the competition even if it's between the other three uh goalkeepers at the time and then obviously you got the field and whatnot but man like where did the transition to CrossFit come in like was that you finished your time at you know college and you made the decision whether to try an MLS when you didn't um what what, what was that transition and and what that what was that like for you
0: It was a very difficult transition for me because my career didn't end by choice. Um, I suffered a tremendous amount of concussions throughout my soccer career. And at the time in my fifth year of college playing, I was the starter and I got a concussion the first game of the season. They tried to rush me back. I got a second concussion. On top of all the others that I had, doctors said that if you want a quality of life, um, that you need to stop playing contact sports because we don't know what the long-term effects are going to be at this, at this point with how many concussions you've got. So that was, that was how my college soccer career came to an end. Um, and sorry to interrupt. I just want
1: to kind of double click on that for a second. Um, at that point, did you want to be a professional athlete in the field of soccer?
0: I went to school, For soccer, not for academics. So that to answer your question, yes. Like in my head, after that last year, I was going to the MLS combine. I was going to have a shot at the MLS, or I was going to go play overseas. Like that. That. That was. That was the main goal.
1: So, (laughs) I just want to put everyone in, put everyone in that room with the doctor with you. Like, talk us through that moment. Yeah, (laughs) man.
0: I. it's, it's like, I remember it vividly, but like that time in my life and probably those six months after just seemed like such a blur to me because one, I'm trying to recover from a concussion. And I'm not just talking about like, I got hit in the head. Like these are the concussions that I got put in the hospital for that. I woke up in the hospital, like those level of concussions. Um, I think I was hospitalized five times total for concussions. Um, so, I mean, I, I remember being in the doctor's office and it was almost like I was almost emotionless. Like, you know, when they told me that I need to stop playing contact sports, like I can't remember showing any emotion at the time. It was almost like I was in disbelief. Um, I think it was almost like when you hear like the bad news of something happening and it like takes you a little while to process. I don't think I knew how to process it because I like, I literally at that point didn't know what was next for me in my future because of my, my, my whole life in athletics was pointing in wrong direction. And then I just got spun completely 180, and I was going to have to figure out what to do next. Um, So yeah, I, I mean, after the fact, I know it was, it was hard to deal with and, I would have to say that was probably the lowest point in my life. I just had no direction. Um, I was finishing out classes at school, you know, not able to play the sport that I loved and, and not knowing what I was going to do after school either. It was a really weird time for me because I had so much identity in athletics and playing soccer that um, it was it was rough. Um, and and that essentially is how I found CrossFit. Um, my I I had a friend back home, and his name is Ben Smith. And for those who don't know Ben Smith, he's one of the most decorated CrossFitters now in the history of the sport. He won the CrossFit games in 2015, but I went to high school with him. And I remember that he did some sort of fitness working out for time, competing, and I looked into it and for selfish reasons, I said, Oh, this is this is this is kind of like a sport. This is like the sport of fitness, and I can work hard and I'm not gonna get hit in the head. Like, let's do it. Like I'm not ready to to be done competing and being an athlete. I want to still see what I'm made of. Selfishly, I want to make a name for myself. And that is how I found
1: CrossFit. Dude, uh man, it's you know, I think your identity is huge. I think we, as individuals, are constantly sometimes questioning our identity, and particularly when you, I like, have a brand within yourself. You, like when I say brand, you you have you have a vision for who you are and how you want to be positioned in the world, and all of a sudden, the opportunity for that is taken away. That's pretty tough, man. That's uh, it's like telling some. It's like someone telling me that I can no longer cook.
0: Correct. Like, yeah.
1: That's that's the same kind of. That would be tough, and at this point in time, I'm I'm just trying to put people in your shoes for a second. It's like think of something that you love and have only kind of envisioned yourself doing. And I'm sure there's other people out there who have had the same story where they were you know doing something well in a, an athletic competition, or if they were doing something professionally and had to had to change as a result of a, you know, something was taken away. But it's 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 tough because I the, then you start to think about well, what's second, and then you start to think of like well. Second's like fallback, and then fallback's not cool because fallback was like, why should I rely on my fallback? I'm a person who's always driven for what I really want. And then you start to question that. It's like, well, I can't do that, but that's what I actually want. So that would have been a, like, as I go through the emotions right now, I'm, I'm thinking for you back when that happened. So um, yeah, man, th- things could have gone pretty south, but it sounds like uh, the people like, you know, seeing, you know, Ben and what he's done has been uh, a pretty amazing path. Obviously it is because we look at you now and you're you're, you're thriving. Um, Ben's a – it was so funny. I remember watching – from memory, I remember when you could send your tapes in for the CrossFit Games as opposed to having to go down to a a box. (laughs) And I always remember it's like people sending their tapes in and, you know, I I remember doing a workout and I did a ride in it for the Australian – like the equivalent to the Australian, the American like regionals or whatever it is. And, uh, and this one guy kept posting videos of himself because he was never near a box or whatever it was. It was Ben. And Ben just oh, kept yeah. crushing his workouts via video. And so eventually he blew up as he like, his videos became so viewed because it was this one guy that kept absolutely crushing it and competing with like Froning. And it was just unbelievable. Anyway. Yeah. And so- it's like very
0: barefoot in his garage like doing these workouts and uh yeah he did ben, ben was known for uh his trademark was the fridge because he would lift in his garage and his mm. videos always had the fridge in the background and it was mm. so close to his lifting platform and people were like you're gonna hit your fridge but yeah that's where he got it that's where he got to start he would work out in his garage and his cul-de-sac and hang muscle up rings in the trees and yeah
1: yeah he had his tree everyone else everyone else has these beautiful like framed bars or you could go down to a nice shiny, you know, CrossFit box, and he's he's using Mother Nature to like go through his lifting, um, and he and he crushed the workouts. But uh, that's awesome, man. He's an inspiring dude; it really is. So ironic that you guys are high school buddies. That's that's epic. Um, but I guess, I guess, finding this, the question I want to pose to you, and it's a pretty deep one, I guess, is like, do you think you liked football or soccer? Or do you think you love the idea of the training behind soccer or football, which in turn means you actually like the training more? So it wasn't necessarily you wanting to be a professional athlete in football. You just love the training and winning part. And I could be wrong. You may say, no, Dan, I actually really liked playing football. But the the synergies I'm trying to make here is that some people realize that what they love about something isn't actually what the obvious is. It's actually another part, which in this part – is why CrossFit can relate to the training aspect.
0: Yeah, this is a no-brainer answer for me. I hated games. I hated <laughs> playing games. I hated the nerves that went in it. I I hated that I touched the ball only a few times. Like Games games is for a goalkeeper is boring. Um, mm. And I'm speaking from a goalkeeper's perspective. And in a game, you have to be perfect. You can't allow mistakes. Training, you can make mistakes. You can learn. You can work hard. You you know, you're, you're not quote standing around like you are in a game. And like, man, like I loved the process of training and improving as a soccer player, like that, that hands down the waking up early, the getting to the field, the camaraderie with the guys, and then like, just getting after it, like the best training sessions were the one ones where I would walk off the field and I'm covered in mud and sweat and I'm soaked and I've got gashes in my legs and you know, you, you, you just have nothing left to give. Um, So that's a really easy question for me. And I think that's where you're going is why I really related so much to CrossFit because like you can't get good at CrossFit on talent. Like there's nothing to be talented at in CrossFit. (laughs) Yes. Maybe certain aspects where, if you have a gymnastics background, like it's cool, you're talented and being on your mm-hmm. hands or like that. But like, the only way you can improve and get good at CrossFit is to put the work in. Like, there's zero, there's zero shortcuts that any anybody can take. So I think that's why I really fell in law in love with the sport of CrossFit.
1: Yeah, you probably felt like more of the, I guess more of the outcome was actually within your control. Does that make sense? Like a high percentage of the of the, the output was actually within your control, which is the training aspect, the dedication. You know, like if I look at it and go, okay, well, you have to be able to squat heavy. And a part of that would be that you have to be strong and powerful through your fast switch fibers. So I get that. Like, yes, that's part of it that you can't control. But, you know, the ability to still utilize those is down to the hard work and training, which is the same with your engine. Um, which I'm sure you would have loved knowing that you you had the fastest what three mile, um, three mile time is as a, as a freshman and on probably ongoingly as well, um, but yeah man that's uh, that's that's pretty awesome. And so when did you? I, I, I guess you've been to how many how many uh, Opens have you? Sorry, how many um, games have you been to? You've been to one as a team, right?
0: So here's a fun fact. I've actually never been to the CrossFit Games, but I have that stat on my bio because <laughs> I was I was the alternate for that team who got second place that year. Gotcha. Um, but I've I've gone to six regionals, a sanctional and a semifinal now. Um, nice. I guess this, this past year was my ninth year competing in total. Um, but along with, so this is kind of a, where my story continues, Um, you know, obviously the end goal as a CrossFitter being competitive is to make the CrossFit games, right? Like that's the final stage, the top 40 men and the top 40 women in the world. And like, yes, in the back of my mind, that was always my goal. And I would have loved to get there, but I started CrossFit selfishly to compete. But where my story goes is I developed a deep love and passion for coaching people. And so my job after college, um, so Ben and I graduated the same year together and he opened up his gym CrossFit Krypton Mm -hmm. the year I graduated college and it was just him coaching. And we connected because I was getting into CrossFit. I got a one month membership the first month his gym was open. And He sat me down at one point and he said, what are you doing after college? And I said, I don't know. And he said, well, do you want to come move back home and coach with me? And I said, sure. So I actually, I skipped my graduation, competed in my first regionals. And then the next day I drove home and started coaching with Ben. So again, I got into CrossFit selfishly, but I developed this love for coaching and to have somebody like Ben who, you know, is at the top of his sport and, you know, he's he's almost in a sense very similar to like the Nick Bear of CrossFit for me. Um, but to have somebody like that trust me with running his gym, I, was, I ended up being the head coach there for eight years and I ran the gym essentially. Um, I never wanted to then put my athletic, per, I guess, performance, you could say, above my job. You know, to have somebody trust me. Uh, to run their gym and facility and take care of people, I always put that over my training. So, um, was the CrossFit Games ever my goal? Yes, but not at the expense of hindering my career. If that makes sense, I yeah. was um, so I just so felt that I did the best of to the best of my ability for the position that I was in.
1: Yeah, man, that's um, that's pretty cool. Like when you can truly know in yourself that whilst the CrossFit Games is ultimately like I think anyone who does CrossFit competitively is the goal, if you can know in your heart that the biggest thing, there's something bigger than that for you and that's a bigger target, um, irrespective of whatever it is, and that's still in the same field, that's pretty epic because you're – you know, I get it, man. I get the, uh, the idea of how you have a greater feeling of accomplishment for helping mm-hmm. others succeed, probably than you do yourself at the same time, and as much as you're competitive, and you know you wouldn't be where you are without it, it's it's pretty crucial. It's really crucial to have that kind of that person who just is puts that puts themselves. I would say still puts their own life life uh, life first on first, but is more interested in the success of others through themselves than they are for themselves solely, which is pretty cool. Yeah, um, that's pretty epic. So, man, like, I've got questions. You know, I, I can understand you dealing with athletes day to day through, um, you know, Krypton and, and then obviously how that transitions to the head of partnerships at BPN. But, uh, how, 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 like, you know, dialed in as an athlete were you to your nutrition, um, you know, growing up? And I, like, I, I have no doubt, uh, you have established even more so since obviously, dealing with bpn and and nick's pretty dialed in with certain things as well as well as the team in general but mate how dialed in were you growing up and from div one right through to being an athlete in crossfit
0: yeah so growing up um man i think i just had a high metabolism and (laughs) through throughout probably high school i really didn't focus on what i was eating it was just really trying to like eat as many calories as i could because like it was hard it's hard for like you know, a 15 year old boy to gain weight, you know, Mm. um, my family sense of nutrition, it wasn't anything. Um, it wasn't anything what it is today. I think just having three kids, um, you know, I think at that time in the nineties, there were these like, you know, fad diets and, you know, different perspective of what health is. And I remember at one time, you know, eating and you know always thinking like carbs were bad whereas an athlete you know like it's the opposite you need carbs for for fuel essentially um i remember my first exposure to anything like dialed in nu- nutrition uh my dad was in the navy and he had a woman come over when i knew that i was going to play college soccer so this was probably my junior year in high school and she came and sat down with me and it was it was a very general nutrition talk. And I think she was mindful of that. Me just being in high school at the time of like basically options of what to eat to help fuel my body in order to perform. So ending high school was the first time I really had some good exposure of like eating to perform. And I guess you could say people eat for different reasons. Some people eat uh, to look a certain way, to gain weight, to lose weight and then some people eat for performance, and I was heavily, heavily, heavily invested on eating to perform with playing soccer. Um, that was obviously very performance oriented. Um, and then in CrossFit, CrossFit is very different than bodybuilding or doing physique training. Um, you know, and and like yes, you you want to look good, you want to have big muscles, you want to look ripped up, but where I kind of viewed that as I, I didn't seek. I didn't find any contentment in the way I looked. I think if you try to look a certain way, you're always going to fall short and you're always going to, you're always left wanting more. That's how I've always viewed like eating for looks. So that was never my focus with nutrition. I found way more peace with my performance And so I made sure I was fueling my body to perform and getting the results I wanted performance-wise, if that makes sense. And it's almost like the results followed because I was performing at a certain level. So um, my extent of like the nutrition I've done as I've gotten older and as you get to a higher level in athletics. So for me, it was CrossFit. I was getting into a higher and higher level where every every little thing helps that extra 1%. um, I would definitely track my food. I would track my calories, my macros, my, my you know, my protein, fat, and carbs. Um, I experimented with higher fat diets, higher carb diets. And for me personally, I do better on a high carb diet as my fuel source, whereas my buddy Ben, he's experimented and he does really well as using fat as his fuel source. So it's, it's funny how it works different for different people and how different people respond. Um, but I definitely, as I've especially now gotten older, um, my training's gotten less nowadays. Um, I've been way more mindful of my nutrition. Um, I go in and out of tracking my macros more just to see where I'm at. I've done it enough where I can kind of eat intuitively and know relatively how much I'm I'm eating in a serving or, or per day. And I'm very much a creature of habit now. Um, my breakfast and lunch is the exact same every day. Dinner shift. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, on the nutrition side of things, um, and this is kind of where Nick is now also, it's very, very heavily geared towards the performance side of fueling your body.
1: Yeah. It's, uh, I, I think one of the key takeaways I took from Nick and he summed it up beautifully in our, in our episode and you, you said it before once he switched over his mindset to switching to eating for performance mm-hmm. as opposed to eating to hit a certain number it was a game changer because no longer was he stressed about specifics he was just like all right i genuinely think how much i need to eat today based on what i'm putting out and as you said like you've you've done macro counting enough now to intuitively know roughly what's going on. But Correct. doing that, I always say, is, is is actually not a bad idea. You know, if, if you're someone who's who just knows the way that your mindset is and, you know, it makes you happier, awesome. But like if you do the same meals over and over again, you're going to know what your numbers are. So if you take that concept but then fold it into listening to your body mm-hmm. and being able to respond to your output, it absolutely so much better than every single time sitting down getting your iphone and putting on the calculator i guarantee and i know that's exactly what your your headspace is interestingly let's talk specifics for a second man yeah what was uh what was your macros say you know during heavy crossfit time for adam and then what's it like now are they you said more carb specific Do do you remember what they are uh yeah,
0: so they're still about the same percentages. Um, yeah. but I was when I, when I was uh heavily training CrossFit, I was eating um about four thousand calories, maybe a little bit more. Um, yeah. it was about five hundred to five hundred fifty grams of carbs, two hundred fifty to three hundred grams of protein depending on the day, and then. My fat was around 100 grams or, or slightly less. And my my issue when I eat, and I don't know if this is other people's problem, but I have a really hard time keeping my fat low um, because I, I love like I love like nut butters and nuts, cashews, peanuts. And, you know, I enjoy having a protein bar as a snack. And I'll, you know, choose a whole food protein bar, which is usually a peanut butter base so my I, I've always, always, always struggled with keeping my fats low. And now mm-hmm. that, you know, I went from a time where I was able to train two or three times a day, plus my job involved coaching four to five hours a day. So I was always on my feet. So um, I'm definitely eating less now, a lot more desk hours. Yes, I'm on my feet and doing things at times, but training for probably an hour a day right now. So I'm again, I'm still eating to perform. Um, I still have goals with back squatting and running, so I need to fuel my body accordingly, but I'm at about 3,400 calories. Now my carbs are at about 400 or so Protein's still about two fifty, Um, but then my fats are a little bit lower at about 85 grams. So I've shifted everything down roughly the same percentages. And, um, Again, I don't stress out about it. I try to live by like the 80-20 rule where I eat on track about 80% of the time and then I don't stress out when we're entertaining a guest and we go out to a nice dinner and I eat more calories than I should. Like I, I'm to the point now where like life is meant to be enjoyed and to enjoy each other's company and I'm not going to ruin that by being stressed out about what I'm eating when I'm in good company.
1: Oh, dude, 100%. 100 percent you know the uh I, I i could also break down you know i can bring in some studies to talk about certain things as well and and bring all that to the table but there's no point talking about just chronic diseases all the time when you talk about someone who's 90 percent percent time pretty pretty on point with their nutrition you know what i mean There's uh there's got to be a bit of fun in there we do say that particularly someone like yourself is putting out still even when you're not you know competing as competitively as you once were in that space where um you're still active you know you're still active tremendously compared to the average individual like and you brought up Ben's being a uh, I'm really glad you brought this up we um we've discussed gut microbiome and makeup and as athletes your makeup of how your fat is uh you know less or more sensitive to certain things so like how your body responds to fat versus glucose and um it's it's such an interesting thing. I'll have to get uh, Adam. I'll have to send you a Zoe test kit. I know we sent one to uh, to add, to Nick to do as well. Be, be be really interesting to see how your body responds to to fat and uh, and, and and also glucose, and then see which one ultimately uh, where you lie objectively. <laughs> it Be yeah, really interesting.
0: Would be super, super interested to see. I haven't done any sort of those uh, testing like that. I also want to see what foods are I'm like intolerant to as well because I'm yeah. convinced that this. Some foods that don't agree with me.
1: (laughs) Yeah, man, it's it's uh, you know there's the obvious ones of like talking about dairy, where seventy percent of this uh, seventy percent of people on this planet are actually unable to you know break down lactase, and and then you've got the the remaining thirty percent are less deficient past the age of like even twenty. So you know there's a there's a lot of common things. I'm very fortunate to be one of those people that you know does okay with dairy. I don't have any more than natural yogurt, to be honest. Um, but you know, it's really interesting with these kind of test kits that you're able to truly see your deficiencies and what you're more sensitive to. And then, uh, you can improve your, obviously look after your deficiencies through certain recipes. That's where I come in. Um, but also just objectively see. okay, well now I understand why these things are happening to me around these times, or you may not even know. And you're like, well, maybe I can back squat 600 pounds as opposed to 550 if I knew, (laughs) if I knew that was, uh, yeah, <laughs> 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 mate, join the six hundred club. Um, yeah, super interesting, man. Really, really cool to to hear your mentality when it comes to, you know, I, I guess you, your mindset on food rather than, I guess, your philosophy. I think mindset on any of us is super important when you when you you know you go about looking at how you want to break down your performance and, um, you know, I. I I I I do I do look at this all the time, and one of the first questions I ask counting people who count is how much time do you actually spend a day calculating? And then Wait, when you weigh too, that up,
0: much, I guarantee it. Sorry, man. I said way too, way too much. I guarantee it.
1: Yeah, dude, it's crazy, and you you do that over the course of a week, and you go, you've wasted like almost half a day of your week, or even like up to two thirds a day of your seven days, just counting just yeah. for your meals and i'm like oh that's tough that's real tough but um anyway neither here nor there i will ask though like two right between like around two twenty five, 250 like talk us through your daily protein then man because uh i'm i'm more interested generally in micronutrients to support like you know i think getting our carbs our starch uh, our protein and our fats you know, becoming a little bit more easy to understand because, you know, the world revolves around macro and less so on micro. But I'll park my thoughts on micro for a second, but just out of interest to break down your your day, if you're still hitting, you know, 200 to 250 grams of protein a day, what does that look like just in the protein world?
0: Yeah, so I'm a big fan of, it's funny that I work with at a supplement company. I've always been a big fan of (laughs) supplements. Not that I thought that they were magic, but I, mm. I've just enjoyed them from a young age. Like I, I just helped that they facilitated, uh, you know, growth and recovery as I was an athlete. So it's just something that I've always enjoyed, but I definitely use, for example, our whey protein to supplement probably 75 grams of those protein of that yep. protein, um, for better or for worse, but, it but it helps me um you know so my meals in the morning i'll have a big serving of oatmeal with two scoops of uh our whey protein some peanut butter some honey Um, but that's typically post-workout so i wake up and i work out right away in our garage at somewhere between five and six a.m um we have two young bit, boys. bit of ben
1: Smith in there for you mate
0: <laughs> yeah right yeah, i know i know uh but yeah and we have two young boys a two and a half year old and a six month old so My time to work out is before everybody is awake. So that bolo meal and protein is my first meal. And then I'll have, I always have something in between my meals. I can never last from breakfast to lunch and then lunch to dinner. So it'll be anything from, you know, a protein bar to a piece of fruit to, I don't know, just, just something little like that. Um, But then lunch is very consistent. It'll be 300 grams of jasmine rice, um, a cup and a half of either green beans or broccoli, and then eight ounces of organic ground beef. Um, and then I'll have something in the afternoon if I need it. And then dinner is, again, I say that I eat bad 20% of the time, but it's usually a lean, a lean protein. I'm getting, you know, about eight ounces. Um, we're usually doing some sort of rice or some sort of potato or sweet potato and then a vegetable, whether it be, you know, beans, asparagus, broccoli, something like that, um, sautéed onions. Um, you, I don't think you would approve of how bland our meals are, but it's easy for us. <laughs> but then, <laughs> no, I, but then I will say anything, Come. anything I haven't hit by, by dinnertime, I always look forward to whatever I get to eat at night. And that's like filling in the gaps. And it's usually to make sure I'm eating enough. Um, I'm usually running short on some carbs. I've usually got to finish up maybe you know 25, 30 grams of protein. So like, what that looks like before bed is maybe a scoop of protein to kind of finish off the day, and I might do like a, a bagel or some English muffins or or something like that just to kind of pack in those last last couple cards for the day. So micronutrient and diversity wise. Definitely needs some work, um, and I definitely <laughs> understand that. Uh, but I'm also just in the season of my life with two kids, and I know people that have kids will resonate with this. Where like mm. simple is good, and you know if you can if you can be hitting some target numbers or macros while having kids, you're you're doing okay.
1: Yeah, exactly. I do love the fact that uh, you're having an English muffin, some peanut butter, and some protein at night time. And there's a lot of people on here going, "Are you kidding me? Yeah. Are you kidding me?" No, I will say it is so funny to see the elitist athletes, uh, like let's say the top 200, 250, which you're a part of, um, you know, CrossFitters in the world. And they're all just jacked, like built like specimens of Thor. And uh, they're all like eating different things. But it just shows you like, I think uh, and this relates to like even myself right now training for you know, the had the half iron and the marathon, man, like you get this and you hear it from the team the whole time. It's like, sometimes you just don't get enough time to get enough food in, you know, yeah, you just got to yeah. be constantly eating and it can be grabbing a bagel. It can be, you know, I said this the other day, it's like, you, you're obviously still in that phase of it. You have to eat to, to, to perform. And I, I found out, I don't know if you were like this, I found out growing up, I was under eating by like, almost 1500 calories every single day just by how oh, fast basically. my metabolism. Yeah, dude, it was ter- it was tough. Yeah. Like I'd be having big bowls of pasta and then I went through this early age of like when I became a coach, I just wasn't eating enough, man. And um and now like I finish I look at like my you know my Garmin or my Whoop or whatever it is and you look at how much you've done a day and sometimes it's like I average sometimes like five to five and a half thousand calories a day. And I look at what I ate and I'm like, far out. There is like no way, even if that was off by 20% or even 30%, you know, like I still would struggle to hit that number. So I think one of the biggest takeaways and what you're talking about right now is I, I think everyone listening now is probably dialed into learning more about their human performance and I would honestly question those who are trying to perform better. I would question how much you are still under eating and you don't even know it. And yeah, we all try to that, eat healthier.
0: That's my biggest downfall is, is under eating. And and honestly, that's why I do track periodically now to kind of mm. make sure what I'm eating every day is, is hitting those numbers. And like, that's why oftentimes I am packing on a little extra food before bed at night. And my biggest struggle is that like, and I think a lot of people like you're not typically super hung- hungry in the morning um, and it's maybe hard to eat, you know, a bigger breakfast or enough calories. But that's been something that I've been really focused on and something that I want to continue to shift is more like more timing. And when I'm getting a certain amount of calories is I want to really shift more calories to my morning. And I'd love to make it where it's almost breakfast is the biggest, biggest meal, lunch is average, a lighter dinner and I'm done. And then my body can digest the food well because you don't digest well while you're sleeping.
1: Yeah, man. And you should be eating two hours prior to bedtime to look after those sleep waves. But, uh, we don't need to go into that, do we, Adam? My, my, my I just, know, like, got a little uh, I'll <laughs> give you a lecture on all that. I don't think you are. Uh, you don't need to. You already know about it. Um, but yeah, dude, like biggest thing for people to truly understand, and I hope they have this takeaway from this is like, you know, if you are someone who is eating to lose weight, it's you know not the same case. You know, I'm sure obviously you know to be thinking about how much you're eating, um, a bit more specific to you know under under eating, I guess a little bit. Still need to eat to still lose weight. Trust me, people don't eat enough sometimes, still for that. But when it comes yeah. to performance, you know, there's this dude. Can you relate to this? There's the uh, there's that I got to call it a line. The I call it the rich frothing line where you want to look like. You want to look like the statue of David, but you also want to perform. And not all of us can look like Rich Froning, unfortunately. So, like, I'm saying that exactly. it, at the end of the day, if you are putting out the work and you're eating, you know, you need to be eating a lot. So, don't worry about what your skinnies are or how lean you are. It will come based on the amount of work output when you transition and utilize that like the, the, the stored glycogen. Uh, but man, did you have a battle out a little bit? Did you have a battle going? Oh, I'm counting my macros. So I don't you know go too much up my fat stores and all that kind of stuff
0: yeah um it's and again it's it's been a constant battle um i feel like i have somewhat like big man syndrome where like you don't want to look too small so i'm i'm always like oh, i got to eat more or, or on the contrary sometimes you want to eat less because you know depending on what you're doing um but yeah everybody wants to look like a bodybuilder, but perform like a triathlete or an elite level crossfitter. And again, very few people are fortunate enough to to pull off both. And I, and again, I think some of that is purely genetics because because to have a side note, have you ever looked at Rich Froning's don't, uh, diet, especially early on in his, in his career? Do you know like, what that guy eats?
1: Dude, it looked terrible. He didn't even care. Sometimes he just chucked stuff in a bowl and was just like, yeah, it's pretty good.
0: Dude, he literally just drinks whole milk. He'll eat peanut butter sandwiches and Chick-fil-A and chug monsters all day. Like, that's his diet. Like, I I kid Uh. you not. And as he's gotten older, he's cleaned it up. But, like, when he was winning his his CrossFit Games championships, like, he literally lived off of whole milk, peanut butter, and monster.
1: I'm not going to lie, man. I, like, I'm, I'm not having, like... I'll probably put this in there anyway. But listening to what he, like, even those stories that you were just talking about, it blows my mind that we look at nutrition as this dialed in thing. And you look at a specimen like him and how he still won three, what he was eating during the time. It's the same looking at like Michael Phelps because he won X amount of gold medals based on just. His thing was like, I just need to get as many calories in as possible. It was just like pancakes after pancakes after pancakes after pancakes. After pancakes. So like, I don't want to take away the importance of my job and nutrition in general. <laughs> it is just amazing how some some athletes are dialed in the way they are. And just, uh, I think the biggest lesson is not to under eat when you're an athlete, right?
0: Yeah. I, and, you know, I think one- just so everybody is aware, like we're literally talking about like the single best person in the sport. And like, <laughs> there comes a point in those guys trainings that sometimes like, for them, a calorie is a calorie, and they just need to pack it in however they can. And, yeah. you know, sometimes the, the nutrient value isn't isn't what's first on their mind. But again, we're we are literally talking about the two best athletes in history in their sport.
1: I know. I should have chosen someone else, right? Shivers. It just uh, sometimes it's like they're the outliers, right? Yeah. No, seriously. Uh, though. They're crazy. Uh, Mate, your thoughts, Fraser or Froning?
0: I would have to say each in their prime. As much as I'm a Rich Froning fan, I do think Matt Fraser would take the cake if I had to pick.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's tough to to go against. I think they would each win certain
0: workouts, but I think if you stacked them up and say, you know, 10 events, I think Frazier would come out on top a couple events more than Froning.
1: All right. Well, we we just won't tell anyone our thoughts. We'll just leave it to the thousands upon thousands of people who now know. (laughs) (laughs) How good. Well, dude, that's that's some solid nutrition advice just in general to take us through. It's always interesting to get people's perspective on it, but – you know, I'll say it again, eat for performance if you are. Obviously, if you are someone who is uh, dialed into losing weight, still do not undereat. And we can talk more about that in another episode of the podcast, if you will. Um, but man, Adam, I'm, I'm interested just to quickly dive into your role now a little bit. And, you know, like I think I touched upon how important it is to have someone like you you in that, that space, but it, it kind of makes sense now your love for, you know, helping athletes or other individuals in the team environment be better. So, mate, like, did, have you ever been in, like, did you, uh, forgive me if I missed something here, but have you ever been in a position of a partnerships lead before?
0: Absolutely not.
1: <laughs> How did this come about? Did you just go, hey, Nick, dude, I think I'd be the right person? Or did did you get, nope. did White reach out to you? How did it work? Oh, nope.
0: no, nobody reached out to me. So uh, being an athlete, uh, I was always looking for, you know, to partner with the right ba- brands, um, kind of like yourself and um, looking for a supplement sponsor. I became a BPN ambassador when they first launched the program. And this was about a a year ago. BPN launched their ambassador program. It wasn't anything paid. It wasn't a sponsored athlete. You were essentially just an ambassador uh, and somebody who aligned with the brand. So I started there and um, I did very well for myself in that setting. Um, And then... Around that time, a a couple months later, I hit that mile and back squat and BPN then signed me as an athlete. So I was an athlete for BPN for about three, four months. Nick Bear had me down for kind of an athlete visit for two days, um, spent time with the team. We made a YouTube video, took me around Austin. We worked out. And the weekend after I went home, Nick called me up and he said, all right, what's your price tag? Um and so the story I got from Nick was he he didn't know where he was gonna put me, but he knew he needed me on the team. Um, and I think I attribute that to my eight years prior, just learning how to talk to people and build relationships and be personable and almost be like a chameleon where I could talk and relate to to almost every anybody and everybody. Um, and so this position wasn't the position he started off in his mind having me. He thought he was going to bring me on as kind of a training guru, someone to put out content, workout videos as kind of like a training informational side to VPN. And it was funny. He asked what my price tag was. So here me and my wife are sitting at home thinking like, oh man, I'm going to get a." offer from BPN, didn't get an offer for about five months until they finally found the right position or what they thought was the right position for me as the lead partnership manager and literally zero experience. Um, I mean, managing people, yes, as in I managed my coaches at my gym at the time, um, writing up contracts, no clue. Um, so I think he saw it as I kind of had some intangibles that were hard to teach, and then everything else logistically from contracts and and those sort of things. Like you can teach somebody how to how to learn those skill sets. So um, yeah, no no experience prior. Um, I really just like building relationships with people, and like that's really what I pride myself in, and and. I really have a lot of pride in how BPN builds their relationships and manages their athlete relationships. Um, Like how I view that is like my athletes should never receive an email every month asking for things on our end. Mm -hmm. Like that's that's not how it should be. Like I I went in with the approach where I was like, every single athlete is gonna have my cell phone number and they're gonna be able to call me or text me with anything and everything they need. And I'm gonna be their friend and I'm gonna build relationships. And like I don't want it to be so formal as these guys are sending me emails back and forth. And that's just kind of how I approached it. And and like, yes, I manage these athletes and they, you know, work for us as influencers, but at the same time, like all of these guys and girls are are my friends. Like we have great relationships and it's and it's been amazing. But I think but I think that goes a really long way in building the culture of a brand and the people that we work with. Um, it's a hard balance. Um, there's a lot of people out there who are kind of like those like shiny toys, instant gratification. And like, yes, I could sign some of these athletes and we'd probably sell a lot initially, but keeping the brand's core values intact and working with the right people and not painting the reputation of our brand is far more important to me and so it's a it's a really tough balance of like finding the right people to work with for the brand and basically that's what i'm in search for and like yes that makes my job a little bit harder because i'm very i'm very protective of the brand like i have a deep passion for bpn and although i've only been associated with the brand for about a year like i still feel like i'm directly responsible for building What the brand looks like in everybody's eyes so um yeah it's a it's a tough balance and i'm learning as i go especially logistically um but we but we move fast and we learn fast here
1: yeah you uh you move fast you learn fast you go on more you do it all man it's uh it's cool to be I was actually just thinking about this as you were talking about it. And you're an athlete. So you've been on, you've been on one side of the table and you hear about how people make the transition to the other side of the table in other industries, but you actually have like, you've gone from understanding what it's like to be the athlete being offered, you know, terms and conditions. And then you kind of put that into perspective of like what you like to be as an athlete, how you like to give back to the, to the team you're going to be a part of. And it sounds like you're kind of putting that through with your same you know your own values like you shouldn't you shouldn't be sending an email to someone to check in on their deliverables but you should also be finding unique ways to make them feel valuable in in the relationship and so um you know, I think it's so valuable that you've probably had that personal experience through the eight years of working with athletes already, but also being someone who's who's been in that position, you know? And as you said, you this is pretty authentic. Like you went from being someone who's been, you know, an ambassador to then an athlete to then being the head of the relationships of all these athletes. Um, and, you know, you can, you can be someone who is uh, ultimately taught so many things. What you can't do is know how to speak to athletes not and also know what it's like to live in their shoes which is something that you obviously have hands down
0: yeah i think that's been beyond valuable in this position just i've literally lived in every position that i oversee um and that that was really how i wanted to structure our programs when working with athletes and ambassadors like i've i've tried to as much as i can find the balance of all right what what was i looking for as an ambassador how can we achieve that goal and, and give those guys what they want. What was I looking for when I was an athlete and how can we cater to those guys? But then there is the other side of it. And it's like, okay, well, how, how do I continue to help growing this business as well? So <laughs> there's definitely, there's definitely a fine line, but I think that experience side of being in all of those shoes, I think it makes me really relatable to the athletes. Like the oh, amount of times I've had an athlete comes come, come to me and they would be like, you get it but this is how i'm feeling and can we do this and i'm like no that makes total sense i've been in your shoes but like let's talk about it and let's make it work um i I, again i think just that relatable aspect of like having been in their shoes and and still kind of being in some of their shoes um it's 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 very much less of like a business relationship, or of just a you know of a, a friend friend relationship.
1: Being one of the guys, how cool would that be? Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't think that combination happens too much in companies where you have somebody who's kind of gone from those shoes to you know a position in the company where they're overseeing. So, um, I don't, I definitely don't take those experiences for granted.
1: No, definitely not, man. But you know, I, I cannot. I cannot put a value in how important you are to like BPN because you know just to put it in perspective, without people like Adam, my Epic Table listeners, um, you know, athletes don't feel valued, things aren't communicated, and the just the whole growth of companies just don't don't happen. So, Adam's in a position where he can relate on both sides of the table, and that's a very rare thing for it to happen. You know, it's like uh, I think one of the things I always talk about is like as a chef, you go, you earn the respect of what you're talking about by, you know, going through the line and being on the line and getting through it. So when you're told by your deck chef what it's like to, you know, do something, you do it because you know they've been there. Um, not to say that you're in a position where, you know, Adam, you, you tell people what to do, but it's kind of like well, Adam gets it. So it's it's probably an easier you know thing to understand when you're in when people are trying to explain deliverables and like yeah i get it because i've been there so it's a, it's a much easier transition but you know i i'm i'm stoked for bpn i'm stoked for you bro and i'm looking forward to you know getting getting you understanding your nutrition quantifiably through this test and, and then we can find out how we can get you to 600 pound uh back squat man <laughs> it's gonna be a good time
0: dude I'm, I'm looking forward to it i really am man
1: it is, man. It's gonna be awesome. And just so you guys know, I got. A, I was very fortunate. Adam also reached out and asked if I wanted to be a part of the. Can I talk about it yet, man? Before I say anything, should you I show a whole lot? Ab-
0: you're absolutely allowed to talk about it.
1: Okay, so this is the inaugural. The inaugural, right? I don't think it's happened before.
0: First one, but it'll be yearly.
1: Okay, sweet. So the inaugural annual BPN marathon. So I'm looking forward to it, man. It's uh, January. Is that one hidden?
0: yep it is january 29th we just released uh 200 tickets we're gonna have about 200 participants and it's it's sold out in about 90 seconds um we had i think yeah <laughs> we had, we had four, fourteen thousand people on the site trying to get 200 tickets um but really we're community is our main goal heading into 2022 like that's our that's the roots of who we are mm-hmm. and we're trying to we want to create these experiences right Like. We, we think the most valuable thing you can do in somebody's life is give them an experience. And so we want to create this marathon experience unlike any other race day experience. Everything from check-in HQ to you know charter bus to the farm where the race is. The race is on a closed course with no, no spectators. So the only people there are the ones that are working hard to the after party um, and just – we 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 want to make it a personalized race day experience to the extent where we know each of the racers by name. Um, but with this, we're raising money for Team RWB. Um, and where Dan, you're going with this is we have extended an invite to Dan to run this marathon. And I say marathon because I don't think I'm going to give him the option to run the half marathon, um, but to run. <laughs> I didn't know run- that was an
1: option. <laughs> well, good.
0: Well, good. That's that's great. Um, but we uh, we've extended the invite just because Dan Dan is one of our people, and we we love Dan and appreciate him. But he has been invited to participate in this event with us.
1: Yeah, dude. Super honored. It's going to be interesting because I'm going to be coming off November November seventh. We've got New York City, uh, yep. and then I'll probably start hitting the gym again. But uh, knowing, knowing, that, knowing that I'm going to be doing another marathon come January, I'll probably ease off the lower body and just become a super big triangle. <laughs> <laughs> just, just skip de- leg day every now and then and uh, make sure I can still do a marathon or two. <laughs> I keep
0: no, saying good. that,
1: man. But like you, someone like yourself and then you obviously use Nick as an example. And you're like, fuck. I've got no excuse. Like between him, you, uh like Hunter and your ability to run sub threes, gosh darn it. <laughs>
0: well, well I, I haven't run a sub three, but uh I I'm gonna be obviously putting on the going marathon, so I won't be running that one, but the Austin marathon is um three weeks after that, and that, that will be my first marathon that I've ever I've ever run. So I'm gonna it, give man. myself I'm gonna give some my grace a little grace like uh nick did and i'm not going to expect a three-hour marathon to start with but uh it'll be a it'll be a cool test and good gauge of where i'm at because uh again i've never run a marathon before
1: that'd be awesome man irrespective pump for it bro and i really appreciate you know being thought of uh we all love you guys and you guys are so supportive so i'm stoked i'm stoked we got to connect here man i'm looking forward to catching up with you in austin as well man and getting a lift in at uh the bpn hq
0: Dude, anytime, if you, you come out before then, we'd love to get a lift in with you.
1: Awesome, man. Yeah, I'll be down there a bit. So, but uh, I'm clink. Thanks for being a part of the Epitale podcast, bro, and sharing insights into your story. And of course, um, just being an absolute legend, man. I'm going to let everyone know where's the best place to follow you and what's, uh, where, where is that?
0: Yeah, I'm most active on Instagram, which is just at Adam Clink. Keep it simple. Um, Got a little bit on YouTube, but not a ton. Same thing. It's at Adam Clink.
1: He's being shy. He's uh, he's got a solid following. <laughs> on my so, guys, we'll put those in the show notes as links as well. Um, obviously, if you're a big fan of uh, BPM, we'll put all the good things about BPN in the show notes as well. Adam, what's your um, what's your favorite sup man? Is there one that you want us to shout out?
0: What's my favorite supplement?
1: Yeah, which one from BPN man? What's your uh, if I was going to put the product it, page in, what was going to be?
0: Yeah, our, our go one our go more sport, which is a carb, electrolyte and sodium supplement is a, is a game changer, especially if you're an endurance athlete or a runner. Um, it's, it's a supplement that I use as a fuel source before my runs. Um, the carb source is cluster dextrin, so it doesn't sit heavy in your stomach and it's easily digestible. It's, it's, it's my hands down my favorite product on the market.
1: Yeah, it's super revolutionary. Just to second that and I swear like I don't have a re- formal relationship with BPN. Like I, I use Go On more as well Sport myself for all the Ironman I did, all my training for marathon stuff. So post, pre, it's what I use um, for my electrolyte stuff. So I, I'll second what he said. So if you guys want to look into that, we'll put that up there as well. If you're looking into your sodium, magnesium, all that kind of stuff too, it's pretty interesting to have a look at. You guys have been seeing how much uh, I've been having on my stories. So keep checking out that kind of stuff and uh, we'll keep putting it out there. But Adam, once again, brother, appreciate your time, man. Thanks for being such a legend.
0: Awesome. Amazing, man. I appreciate you.